1: Hey, parents, welcome to the Wonder of Parenting podcast. Glad to have you with us today. My name is Tim Wright, as always, here with Dr. Michael Gurian. Michael, good to have you with us. Thank
0: you. Good to be here.
1: And a special welcome to all of you who are listening today to our podcast for the first time. We're we're really glad to have all of you newbies, and of course, all of you who have been following us for a while. And uh, if you are new to the podcast, you can subscribe, wonderofparenting.com. And all of our podcasts, all 60 of them, of course, now 61, are available for you. They're always there. So once you subscribe to Wonder of Parenting podcast, you have access to a lot of different topics, a lot of great insights from Dr. Michael Gurian, some okay questions from me once in a while. And uh, (laughs) so we're, we're so glad you're listening. And we do want to say a special thanks, as always, to our good friends at the Center a Place of Hope up in the Seattle area. They are our sponsors, and so they make it financially possible for us to do these podcasts, and we sure appreciate that. I know you do, too. So if you ever need uh, something uh, in terms of your life, and maybe you're going through trauma or difficulties, you can click the link on wonderofparenting.com and see if that might be a place for you, and I think it just might be. Uh, also, all of, our, all of our other resources are there as well. Um, and uh, we are sort of in the part three of a, a little mini series we've been doing on trauma. And in the last two episodes, we focus specifically on boys who have experienced sexual trauma, and that's based on Michael's new book called *The Stone Boys*, which is available on Amazon or, or there's a link on our website, wonderofparenting.com. And uh, it sort of grew out of Michael's own experience of being sexually traumatized when he was a ten year old boy, and uses that really as a starting point for his his novel. And uh, what we want to do today is expand the discussion, and we want to talk about trauma uh, and how it affects our boys and our girls, and we're not talking just specifically now sexual trauma. Michael, our boys and girls can be affected by a lot of different traumas, so throw a few of those different traumas out there for us.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, they can, they can um, uh, uh, child, child abuse, I mean, definitely they can even head trauma. A number of kids actually have experienced head trauma, and we don't realize it, but it has changed their behavior, and we have to track it back to a head trauma, falling off a a bike or through a sport or uh, getting hit on the head. Um, That's actually a bigger one than people realize. They are now experiencing digital trauma, and so we've mentioned this in other areas, but they are experiencing trauma through digital life, through social media, um, the ways they're being cyberbullied, bullying itself is a trauma. Uh, poverty is a trauma. Uh, that that's its own kind of trauma. So being raised in poverty creates a brain response. And we want to remember that trauma. It's that we're talking about a brain responding. Uh, and we'll talk about how how trauma rewires the brain or tries to rewire the brain. Uh, so though you know it can be anything across the board. We've already talked about sexual abuse trauma. Obviously, that is a, a significant trauma.
1: Uh, when you were talking about that, I I couldn't help but think about my brother-in-law. He's he's passed away now. But Jan's brother years ago, when he was a kid, was um, sitting on one of these chairs that that spins, and he was spinning himself around and slipped and hit his head hard on the side of a desk and um you know he, he he was fine. They never thought anything of it. Uh he developed epilepsy later on mm. and it wasn't until he was an adult, years later, of course medical science had, had uh, Really progressed by then, they did a brain scan and found that there was a little bone chip in a part of his brain from that accident, mm. that had caused uh, the epileptic problems that he was having. So when you talk about brain trauma, and of course as one who's six months into therapy after crashing on my own bike, mm. um, we you know I think all of us probably in some way, shape, or form have experienced trauma in our lives. Yeah, uh, and and so so uh, expand on that a little bit about how how does trauma affect the brain.
0: Yeah. See, that's that. This is the complexity of trauma because um, because we're when we're talking about the sorts of traumas, uh, traumatic experiences that are going to quote unquote re- we rewire the brain. We're we're generally going to be talking, unless it's a head injury, right? Uh, we're going to generally be talking about repeated trauma, so okay. something that's happening over and over again, and. And uh, not always, but most of the time. So let's talk about this because, and let me just say for people who have not heard of it, there's ACE, A-C-E, ACE, and then with a little S, ACEs. And if you go on Google, you know, you just Google ACE with a little S, it's going to lead you to uh, a survey, Adverse Childhood Experiences survey. And you can take that on behalf of yourself, of your child. You know, you can look at it. There are 10 pieces to it. Uh, So I score a 7 out of 10, which is actually high. Um, and that's not good.
1: That's not a good score.
0: Well, it's not a good, no, no, it's (laughs) not a good score, but I had a, I had a lot of different sets of trauma in my first 20 years of life. And, um, so I, I'm just really glad that test exists and that I took it. Um, I don't have one of them, which is, you know, head trauma. I was, I was not, uh, a lot of returning soldiers, of course, are having PTSD, some of which is because of the consistency of the trauma, and then some of which is is from head injuries or physical injuries that then create that cascade of neurotransmission that that is trauma also to the brain. Um, so uh, if we're talking about our now, if we move to our kids or to our everyday life or to our quote unquote normal lives, what's going to be trauma? trauma is is going to generally be something repeated so um and, and by the way trauma has to always be cast uh against a kind of backdrop of resilience and non-resilience and and this is a subtlety of it because you can have uh you know I talk a lot about being a citizen scientist and I ask every parent every teacher every person to be a citizen scientist so you can you be a citizen scientist you can look at your kids let's say your kids are grown and you look back and you know that you raised your kids in the same way and and then there was this period of time of trauma maybe there was a time of poverty or maybe there was a time of of abuse in the home um uh uh, that maybe there was divorce trauma which which is a trauma it is one of Mm -hmm. the adverse childhood experiences you know maybe that existed and then you have these three kids and all three kids turned out differently two of them let's say you know gosh they've turned out pretty solid but this one man this one is not doing well and and so resilience genetics and and the resilience in the child and as resilience has developed in the child are a really big deal for looking at trauma and you have someone like me with a seven uh uh who who went through you know was in therapy quite a bit and went through some very hard times uh, but ended up quote unquote turning out all right Right. Yes. And then you have you'll have my brother who is actually a great guy, but doesn't has never really held a job for more than a month or two. Never married, never had kids, lives isolated and remote. Um, You know, you look at we were raised the same way, but well, turned out very differently. We had a lot of the same traumas. The only one he didn't have that I had was he didn't have the sexual abuse, but we had all the others together. But we turned out differently. So. I, I'm making two important points. One point is, if someone has experienced this sort of, I experienced a trauma when I was 10 and it was that I was stuck in a cave, um, would that have rewired my brain? Like I was stuck in a cave for a day and then I was rescued. Would that have rewired my brain? I would argue that it probably does not. What it probably does, it, it's an incidental trauma that probably makes you scared of caves, but it hasn't, it hasn't rewired your brain the way I'm about to describe a rewired brain. Um, And then the second point I'm making is you can get your brain rewired from trauma, but if you have strong resilience genetics and or if your parents, your counselors, your mentors, your faith community, you know, wherever you are, have helped you to be resilient, then that's going to be the best best pushback on the trauma and it's going to help you to turn out well. So I want to make those two points because the word trauma is thrown out around a lot and we kind of got to define what we mean. So before I go on to the signs of, of trauma and a rewired brain, should we talk about that? Sure, sure. Now, you know, I, I just,
1: again, another story popped into my mind. Um, my, uh, my wife's mother died when my daughter was, uh, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years old. can't remember exactly when. And, and uh, it really hit her pretty hard. Um, but it wasn't until a few years later... Um, when Alicia was going through a little bit of counseling that we realized just how traumatized she had been by that uh, experience. And so our, sometimes we're just not aware always of the things that can traumatize our kids. Uh, would you put uh, not only some of the things like that, divorce and, and death of a, a loved one, uh, how about um, the trauma of taking uh, tests in school and so on? It, it, uh, does that uh, go to the level of trauma as well? Or is uh, that something different?
0: They, you know, they can create anxiety. Uh, uh, taking a test wouldn't go on to the aces, for instance, an adverse childhood experience. But, but depending on the genetics of the child, I mean, if you have a a you know very introverted child who's also prone genetically toward anxiety, you know, so you have a a kind of perfect storm. Uh, a, the test taking becomes a trauma for that child. So that's one that's not going to be a trauma for every child, but it's going to be a trauma for that child. And so if that child is constantly put in that position, um, you know, over a period of six years or eight years, then now it that can be rewiring the brain. And that's why sometimes kids who have that anxiety, test anxiety, their parents homeschool them, you know, their parents take them out of that because they don't want that to be um, to go on for years to rewire the brain because the brain really does get rewired. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to describe what I mean. I know yes, that sounds sort of, it sounds sort of... Um, either mechanical or very pop psychology. So I'll describe what I mean. But it, it, is, it, it is what's happening. So what happens is the um, when the brain is, is being repeatedly traumatized, um, uh, and, and even in your case, with the, the trauma of the, the grandma dying, um, you know that's going to go down in the books as a trauma. Uh, it, and it's something that was remembered and was really painful. I would want to study that to see if that actually rewired her brain. My guess right. is it did not rewire your daughter's brain. No, it was just traumatic. But, yep. but it was traumatic, yeah. Yep. The, it's that consistency. Well, getting hit on the head obviously does it, or the consistency of the trauma over and over again, repeated. So that keeps the cortisol level really high. Cortisol is the stress hormone, and it keeps that cortisol level really high for a long period of time, can be for years, and um, and this is why in a number a lot of studies we look at poverty as trauma, um, because for many people you know that's keeping that stress level up really high, um, so that stress hormone is up. It's up for a year or two or three or however long. It's up enough for certain functions in the brain, certain pathways that would have been in a in a brain without trauma that has sort of a natural template for that brain development. Those pathways don't fully close and I'll give an example of what I mean in a minute, They the synapses aren't working in those pathways to close those pathways, to make those pathways thicken, you know, with with brain activity, uh, connect those parts of the brain to each other. Um, uh, in a normally temperated brain, without all of that trauma, that those pathways may normally develop, but they're going to be thinner and less developed in a traumatized brain. So, for example, um, there's a there's a set of pathways and linkages between the amygdala, which is our fight or flight, our our, our aggression, our anger, or you know a lot of emotion comes to our amygdala, and and then there are these pathways that take it up to various parts of of the prefrontal, the frontal, the orbitofrontal, which is which are the executive decision making parts of the brain, the impulse control parts of the brain, the the nonviolent parts of the brain, the parts of the brain that will say don't be violent, don't don't hit, don't be aggressive, you know, um, uh, no, no, don't do those things, even though you're having the feelings of doing them in your amygdala, let's say, but no, no, don't do them. Well, in traumatized brains, one of the rewirings is that they don't get some of the development of that linkage, and so you often will see, and each brain, by the way, will rewire in its own way, but you'll often see this in people who have been traumatized over a long period of time, and or very severely, that their impulse control, their executive decision making, their self regulation, um, does not develop in the way that we would want it to. Or like with returning soldiers who are really struggling with PTSD, they they can't control their impulses to hit, to yell, to scream. You know, um, they can't control those impulses. So that's just one example of where the linkage that we would normally develop may not develop, and. Um, and so we may find these people are are uh, you know angry, etc. Like the, what I just described, and also um, relationally they will have difficulties. And um, we mentioned this briefly in a previous podcast. But this is this is a way for us to know if someone is still dealing with unresolved trauma um, is whether they're having trouble in their relationships.
1: With the lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is that a good start? Yep, yeah, that's great. So, uh, so some traumas will rewire the brain. Uh, some will not. But... But at the same time, uh, when our kids are traumatized, we, we want to get them the best help and care that we possibly can. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I know that you talk about some of the relational signs of trauma, and we, we went through some of them that you experienced with your sexual trauma, but let's talk about uh, some of them again, just to give uh, people a sense of uh, if how if their child is traumatized and if the trauma is... Um, sort of a moment in time versus ongoing, and is there a way to tell the difference? Yep.
0: Yeah. So I'll let me list list um, some things for people to watch for, and and then people will have to work back to try to figure out is the person living in trauma right now? You know, uh, it, is my son or daughter living in trauma right now, or is this trauma you know that's unresolved from five years ago? Uh, so that's going to be a separate discussion. But the signs that the person is in trauma now and or ha- has been living in trauma in the past uh, are, are some of these. For instance, alienation, right? Alienation, going into their room, uh, staying away from others, isolating themselves, isolation, social isolation, um, only inside they're playing video games or only inside their room. Maybe they're on social media, uh, but they don't really relate to other people much. They certainly don't relate to their family. That would be isolation, alienation. And that that is a sign. And um, uh, another one is anger. So just be looking at, especially if there's been a shift, if the person has changed, the person wasn't really this angry a year ago or six months ago, but is now hair trigger, constantly angry, um, always getting mad at, at me, always getting mad, mad at mom and dad, something like that, mad at other people. Uh, so look for anger. Look for hypervigilance. Is this person... Seemingly always anxious, always vigilant about what people think of him or her, about what uh, whether he or she is doing okay, um, what does mom think, what does dad think, you know, hypervigilance. Um, I think people know what that is, right? No need to describe yeah. that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then excessive blaming. One thing that will often happen is people who have been traumatized will... They'll be blaming others because they really blame themselves. It's a projection response we have, but it's unconscious. So they'll be blaming others, nitpicking at others. There's always something wrong with this person. There's always something wrong with this other person. There's always something wrong with this other person. Constantly blaming and judging and involving themselves in that kind of behavior. Um, Imposter syndrome is another one to watch for. The person thinks uh, they're an imposter, like they just don't fit. They're inadequate. Um, No matter what they do, they've never proven themselves, you know, um, and 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 each of these things, I just always want to give the caveat that each of these things could be caused by something else. Personality could be caused by something else. But we're look, we're listing them, and then we what we want to think is: is my is my child experiencing three or more of these? Uh, okay, then you know, and especially if there's been a change in behavior from a year ago, then probably trauma. Yeah, and Michael, uh, if
1: I might just jump in yeah, here and, go ahead. and say, from our experience, and we've talked about this on podcast before my son showed signs of alienation uh was always in his cave playing his video games and anger um but his wasn't trauma so to speak he was depressed right um, so we needed the, we didn't have but and he was also doing some things with uh, self-medication but in that case some of those signs were there but that didn't necessarily mean trauma uh that we're talking about he was in a depression trauma It's probably a different way of talking about it, but you're right. Not everything is necessarily going to say something traumatic happened to your kids, but something's going on, and you need to be aware of that. Even if it's not trauma, something was going on with my son, and we needed to see these signs.
0: Yeah, Yeah, if you have three or more of these, of what I'm listing here, and I've got five more I'm going to list, if you have three or more then you know, very wise what Tim is saying. You know, something is going on. It could be adolescent onset depression, like your your son had, and that's that's something probably you know was in his genes and onset, and um and uh, and he got treated and he's doing great. So it could it could be that absolutely, and that's why I keep. Giving the caveat, okay, remember, these things could be caused by something else, but at the same time, we're talking about trauma, so think three or more. So, okay, shame and addiction. Really look at shame and addiction, and I put them together because so often they go together, because the shame is unconscious. You don't really know how ashamed they they actually are feeling. They feel guilty. They feel ashamed. Uh, They they feel inadequate, so they feel ashamed. You don't know that, but what you can see is maybe they start to abuse substances, uh, become addicted to substances um and so and self like like i self-medicated with marijuana when i you know was was an early teen middle teen um uh, look for that and so that's one of the ten so you could they could get into marijuana just because they get into marijuana but if you add it up with depression with anger then you're saying huh maybe trauma uh sexual difficulties can follow trauma however we talked a lot about that with sexual abuse and generally they're following sexual trauma so you won't, in general, get those with 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 general trauma, non non sexual. Um, how, however, in our era now, with access to porn, I would put mm. I would put, for, especially for the young guys, I would put porn addiction on there or or porn difficulties on there, and um, remembering that if they get really into porn and then they don't actually end up, you know, mating with others, in other words, relating to others. Um, peers lovers etc as they get older if they don't do that that itself becomes a trauma right it's a form of isolation so they're not able to develop sexually and intimately as they're templated to do um and then ptsd is its own so that's going to be that is you have experienced significant trauma and now you keep re-experiencing it so that's really the ptsd um uh, and then gender dysmorphia is, is a trauma to look at. This has become sort of controversial because we're in a kind of an era right now where some people are arguing there is no such thing. Well, gender dysmorphia is where you, you're, you're confused about your sexuality or you're confused about are you male or you're female. And, and gender dysmorphia is not trans. Like there are people who are trans, trans, who where you scan their brains and you say, oh, that's a trans brain. Um, those numbers, however, are pretty small, uh, maybe 0.3 of 1%. So, so, but there are a lot more people, a lot more kids who have gender dysmorphia. And one of the things that I actually worry about in our public conversation right now where people are arguing that there's no such thing as gender dysmorphia, that if a child tells you he's, he's whatever he says, I'm female or I'm not male or I'm gay or I'm not gay or, you know, that, that you should just say yes, uh, but he's only eight years old, you know, or he's only 10 years old. I really worry about that because... Um, While we should listen to that child, of course, Um, gender dysmorphia is a condition. and, And gender dysmorphia is something that can be a sign of something else. It can be a sign of sexual abuse trauma for sure that the child has been sexually abused. And it can be like all mental disorders, like depression, like anxiety. You can get these triggered from trauma. So we have to be nuanced there in our approach to that. And then I think the last one I'll list is is faking it, I call this faking mm-hmm. it, where someone, where this person seemed authentic to you, this this 10-year-old boy or girl, let's say, seemed authentic and sort of innocent and developing, you know, normally. And But now at 13 or 14, this child is lying all the time, this child is putting up disguises all the time, you know, never self-disclosing or pretending to self-disclose, but really telling you lies. Uh, I just put all that in the category of faking it. And and that's a tenth sign. So if if if, um, your child is experiencing three or more of these, then I think it's worth looking at whether the child has unresolved trauma. Um, uh, Yes, it could be other things, but three or more. I'd at least look at trauma.
1: So uh, once you've kind of said, all right, I think my child has got something going on, trauma. And you may not be aware of what it is, which, you know, some parents will say, well, I would certainly know if my child had trauma, but not necessarily. Um, what um, what steps should a parent take?
0: Yes. If, if a parent looks at this and says, okay, I'm ready to, to at least explore this, then you, you want to be getting professional help. You know, you want to be connecting with, with therapist counselors, with uh, trauma counselors, with people who are in this field because there's an incredible amount of wealth of research and know-how in this field right now. Trauma-informed counseling, there's so much good stuff going on. So, so seek those people out. And of course, you have to look at the age of your child. Has that person worked with uh, a child in that age group? So not just any counselor, but if you have a 12-year-old, you wanna make sure the counselor works with 12-year-olds. And if you have a 12-year-old girl, works with 12-year-old girls. If you have a 12-year-old boy, works with 12-year-old boys. Uh, I, I really think this is, you know, we should, we should have some specialty there. Um, uh, so interview, look around, find the right counselors, go into all your systems, call your hospitals for referrals, call the referral lists or, or go online to look at referral lists in your area and see if the person says trauma-informed in their bio. And, um, uh, and then start make an appointment with that person. Say, look, I don't know if it's trauma, but here's the stuff that's going on. You know, what do you think? Would you see my child? Uh, I think go to professionals as soon as possible for the child himself or herself. Um, you know, you're going to be sensitive. You're going to listen. You're going to talk. You're going to try to help them to open up. You're going to ask them because because bullying trauma is one of those that has some of these results, and that's one where parents can actually get at it. Like uh, you know, it's hard for parents who aren't in the field to know how to see through a, imposter syndrome or see through faking it, or this kind of thing. But, right. but bullying, you know, bullying is, okay, wow, did something happen at school, you know? And and don't be afraid to really ask that question a lot, and have two or three people in the family ask that question, including older siblings, ask the question to try to figure out if there's been bullying. Because bullying trauma is one of those traumas that, that distends or extends itself over a period of months, and becomes a potential rewiring effect because the child keeps getting bullied yeah and he he or she won't talk about it because if the child talks about it to the parents we have to remember that kids don't talk to us about these things because they know if they tell us they are going to get bullied more mm-hmm. right that is their belief yeah and to some extent they are right but to some extent they are wrong if they tell us if need be we take them out of that school if need be you know we do something dramatic to try to help solve this, and um, uh, so to push, we got to push through that and kind of stop that trauma. And for some, for some kids, let's be honest, you know, especially if they're sort of 14, if they're being bullied and and nothing changes it, then we kind of have to empower them to punch back, mm. you know, and just say you can't do it on school grounds or you'll get expelled. But if this person <laughs> keeps doing it, you know, call your older brother and and go deal with us. And, of course, I know that's not popular right now, but but um, we got to give our kids all the assets available to them if they're being bullied because that's one that parents can affect relatively right. quickly. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane,
1: so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. <laughs> right? that's the last resort yeah that's the last resort if nothing else is happening uh you know punching the nose or and you know a lot of us probably have stories of of somebody who bullied us or tried to bully us and uh man i had that a couple times in my life and i it never got into fisticuffs it was never uh fighting but in my case we didn't know a lot about bullying back in the 60s like we do now um you know I remember one guy just said, uh, you know, I bumped into him, and he said, all right, we're going to take this outside. And I said, okay, I'll meet you in 10 minutes, and he never showed up. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of times it happens, but we do know that there are kids who are really traumatized by ongoing bullying, and they, they may not have the wherewithal, the the physical capacity, whatever it might be. So that's why we say start with, you know, the way that you need to do it. But you're right, assets are important.
0: Yeah, all the bullying prevention software, all the bullying prevention work that's out there in schools is, is correct. I mean, you're going to definitely try to prevent it. And then the response, the responses are correct. Yes, they should talk to other people. They should talk to a trusted elder adult, you know, um, all all of that is correct. Um, And at the same time, almost all of that bullying literature, my only, my gripe I have with it, (laughs) even though I think it's great. My gripe is that, 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 they almost always lead with, or very quickly they say, you know, don't get in an altercation with your bully. And that that's the one that I think is too politically correct. Mm-hmm. Because in the real world of children, um, many of them simply, they, they simply won't tell on the bully because it creates too many negative ramifications for them and because they have a certain code and they want to try to deal with it on their own, etc. But then we hamstring them and we tell them, well, you you shouldn't, you should not fight against this bully. And we're saying that mainly for our reasons, not for our son's reason. Yeah. You know, our son, I mean, I, I was bullied as a kid and I fought back and it, it was the best thing I did. And it shut the bully down. So, um, you know, guys stop bullying. So it was, it, it's a last resort, but it, we shouldn't completely disempower our kids um, by telling them, it's always immoral or wrong yeah. to fight back. I just, I just don't agree with that one. Yeah, but, and I, and I know, know
1: we're not on bullying, but just a, a quick story. I met with a 17 year old boy a couple weeks ago, and um, he had been bullied, uh, not physically, but through texts. Uh, and he went to the administration. He said, "Look, here's what I've got." They said, "We'll get back to you." Nothing happened. He said, "Hey, why is this guy? This guy still bullying me, still harassing me through texts." You know, we'll get back to you. And they never did. So finally, he went in and said, look, I'm going to take care of this myself after school. And he got suspended. <laughs> so, right. uh, you know, our school systems aren't necessarily set up all the time uh, for these kinds of things. And that's why I think what you're saying is follow the system. But at some point, if the system isn't protecting you, you got to protect yourself, however that might be.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I know this is we, it's a stray point, yeah. but I think it's an important point because bullying is one of those things that, returning now to parents and what parents can do, if a child is being bullied, they will show some of these signs yes. that I that I showed. And and if, if it's bullying, in a way, thank God, right? That means it's not sexual abuse. It's yes, not child right. abuse. It's not, you know, um, it's not a head injury. It's something that we can fight back on, and so it's actually okay. Yeah.
1: Well, Michael, as always, such important stuff. And uh, these these have admittedly been some pretty heavy podcasts for us. and uh, But parenting can be heavy lifting sometimes. So, And these are really important oh, yeah. things for us to know. And I thank you, again, for your self-disclosure about your own uh, sexual trauma in your life. I thank you for writing the book, Stone Boys. And uh, it gives us a tool so that we can start having good conversations, in particular with our boys on these topics and with adults as well. And, uh, folks, we appreciate you listening. And we're going to be back with you for our next episode, and uh, we're going to get back to listeners' questions. And so we appreciate you listening. Please tell your friends about us. And, uh, if again, if you're new, there's a lot of information in those back podcasts, and they're always available to you. So, Michael, thank you very much.
0: Oh, thank you, Tim. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with you next time.